Hello and welcome to the Life After Blindness Spotlight. I'm your host, Tim Schwartz. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode of Life After Blindness, send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And if you'd like to support Life After Blindness, please visit patreon.com labcast. Joining me on the Life After Blindness Spotlight this week is a man of, well, many titles, many uh, backgrounds, many, uh, well, just many, lots of things. Uh, he is a, a singer, songwriter, producer, ambassador of music. I'm sure we'll get into that. He's also an award-winning musician and a professor of music. And I am so very happy and just privileged to be joined this week by the professor himself, ambassador himself, Joey Stuckey. Joey, welcome to the Life Ever Blindness Spotlight. Hey, thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I sure appreciate it. You were probably technically born blind. Is that maybe a, a right way to say it? Because yeah. when you were born, they didn't necessarily know and, until later on. Can, can you talk to me about how that began? Yeah, I don't have really, I really don't have very clear memories um, personally uh, before about two years old. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, I've got a few. But I don't ever remember seeing, let's put it that way. Um, and, and chances are that if I could see, it certainly wasn't uh, what you consider normal vision. So what basically happened was um, when I was born, um, there was, you know, almost from the get-go, there was a brain tumor. And the brain tumor, uh, by the time they just sort of discovered it when I was around 18 months old, they kind of figured out, oh, yeah, there's something wrong here. And then I had it removed by the time I was uh, 28 months old. Uh, um, and uh, it was a very difficult process. My parents really had to go to a couple of different doctors before they found someone they felt comfortable to do the surgery. Uh, but even then, the doctors told them, well, look, you know, uh, this is a very complicated surgery. Um, he probably won't survive it. But if he does, he, there's a good chance he won't walk or talk ever, you know, ever. Uh, they certainly missed out on that one. Uh, <laughs> certainly talk more than I probably should. Um, but, you know, that's why I lecture for part of my living. Um, I, don't, I don't use textbooks. I do all my classes are, well, there's, I have some handouts and stuff, but they're primarily lecture-based. And there's a reason for that, uh, which we can get into later. But, um, yes. but, but the but the uh, the deal was that my mom had been telling the the, the doctors, I think there's something wrong with my child. I mean, for months and months and months, and they basically said, ah, you're an overprotective mother. Go home, bake some cookies, and don't worry your pretty little head, kind of thing. But you know, your parents know stuff, and uh, they know their child, and they they so they my dad one day sort of let go of my hand for two seconds and I, I didn't know it. And I just took a couple of steps followed her and fell down a flight of 30 stairs. And oh that's gosh. a lot of, that's a lot of stairs falling down. Apparently it didn't hurt me. Uh, I mean, I, you know, so they rushed me to the hospital cause they're freaked out. I'm like, Oh yeah, I think this kid's blind. And so the brain tumor, essentially the outside of my eyes are eyes are fine. I mean, one of my, my right eye wanders a little bit from time to time. I'm told I'm not aware of that motion uh but um my outside of my eyes were basically okay but the tumor sort of crushed a bunch of wiring because it was expanding at such a rapid rate uh that it just ripped mm. out my optic nerves uh it also destroyed my thyroid uh destroyed my sense of smell my my, my entire endocrine system basically is gone i have no adrenal 
uh, glands. I have no adrenal function. So I have to be very, very careful. So it left me with a, you know, the blind part is the most obvious um, sort of result of the brain tumor. But there are a, a number of health challenges I face every single day. Um, it's, it's a real journey just to kind of get up in the morning and get off my medicine on board because most of the things that people's bodies do for them um, mine doesn't. So I'm not sick. I'm not, I don't have a disease that I'm treating. I'm not taking, you know, therapeutic medication, but I do take a lot of replacement medication trying to replace, uh, the things my body doesn't make and doesn't do. And so that's, that's very complicated. And, and I don't, I don't get sick more than other people, but if I do get sick, it hits me about four times as hard. So if I get a common cold, oh, wow. it, 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 it's pretty bad. I mean, if I don't watch it, I can go in the hospital. And all it's this not stuff. so common. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, because I get fevers quicker. And again, my body, my body is under stress. When your body's, when most people's body's under stress, the brain goes, hey, man, you need some more adrenaline. Well, my mind doesn't do that. Uh, so it, it, it doesn't, it, it, I don't even, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll be, if I don't watch it, and I have friends that, that watch me pretty carefully, uh, that are in band and stuff like that. But sometimes if I get, if I get uh, overworked, I mean, I'll, I'll start to, I'll start to look pale and my lips will kind of look, start to look sort of ashy. And, and it just means that I'm, it means that I've exhausted myself, but I don't even know it uh, because I'm in the zone, I'm working, I'm doing whatever I do. And the, the most important thing I can do during the day is drink plenty of fluids to help combat the fact that I have no adrenal function and help keep my blood pressure even and all that kind of good stuff. So drinking lots of fluids, you'll see me walk around with these huge, like 42 ounce jugs of you know, water. And, and of course I talk wow. and sing all day long too. Right. So, um, you know, so I just have to watch it and be careful, but it has been challenging, uh, the brain tumor, um, later in life when I was in my late twenties, uh, uh, my right hip, uh, crumbled into dust and I ended up in a wheelchair for about six, seven months and uh, I lost my right hip. So I have a total hip replacement on my right leg. And then uh, back in 2018, uh, I lost my right shoulder. I had to have a total shoulder replacement on my right arm. And that was not as much fun as I had hoped, to be honest. That was, that was not, that, that was pretty rough. Um, I bet it was, my gosh. Yeah. And, 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 and lot, there were, I mean, honestly, like I actually from, I won't, I won't go into tons of detail here, but uh, from the, the surgical procedure was a great success. And I am a very big advocate for people, not just taking the first opinion they get. Um, that's not to say don't trust your doctors, but, but make sure that you find the doctor that's worth trusting. And, um, and I went to like four different doctors before I found the person I felt was going to give me the best chance for recovery and, and to have the kind of life that I wanted after my shoulder surgery. And I had to do the same thing with my hip surgery. Um, I mean, one guy told me, uh, who was the head of the orthopedic department at a major hospital that's very famous. I won't say which one, but one guy said, <laughs> if you could wait 15 years, that would probably be best. I said, hang on. Oh, wow. So, so you're telling me he's, well, you're so young and I just hate to do it. I, I said, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I want out of this wheelchair. I want, I got things to do, man. And, you know, I mean, I have to live now. I can't, yes, the future has to be a consideration, but I can't live in fear and be afraid right. of, of the surgery because maybe in 10 years I got to have it done again or whatever. I've got things to do now 
I've got a life to live. I've got to get back to my life. What do I have to do to do that? But he said, well, wait 15 years. I said, but doc, here's the thing. If I sit in this chair for 15 years, won't my legs have atrophy and I won't be able to walk anyway? He goes, well, yeah, that's probably true. Well, that's just fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I was like, I no, I need to get out of this chair. So I found a surgeon who was amazing. And he was very confident. One might even say arrogant. Didn't have the best bedside manner, but man, knew his stuff and did it well. <laughs> and that's all. I don't, you don't have to hold my hand. You don't have to like me. Just treat me with, with basic courtesy and we're good and you know, be a great surgeon. But anyway, the, the hospital stay that I had was very traumatic um, in, 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 in the care that I received after the surgery. The surgery was amazing. And so much so that at the end of, of 2018, after I finally started covering, I, I went in on, on October 29th, 2018. I, I wasn't able to go back to work till mid-March. It was really, really bad. And, uh, and I actually developed like, like post-traumatic stress disorder because the hospital stay was so bad. They had no idea how to treat blind people. Uh, I had people keep shoving thermometers, like almost one guy put it in my nose. And, uh, you know, even though I told them every time I'm blind, um, you know, and, and they, it was just awful. And, and, and there was actually um, some, I was actually abused by one of the nurses and my wife was sitting there. She was asleep. We were both asleep. It's a long story. And I don't want to, go down the rabbit hole of a, of a very sad negative tale. But the point is that you have to, um, I, I now I'm a bit nervous of hospitals, which I've never been before in my life. So I'm a little nervous of them, but I, I will still go to one. There was a time, you know, right after that surgery, if you'd say, we have to go back to the hospital. I was like, no, I'll just die here. <laughs> I'm, I am not going back. Oh, to hospital. Wow. Yeah. But no, that, that was not a rational mode of thought. Um, I was not completely rational about the experience, but I have worked through it uh, by talking about it uh, to family and friends so that it doesn't get bigger in my mind than what it was. Um, so, but the point of all that is to say that the brain tumor is, is extremely challenging. And, you know, we all have something in our lives that's extremely challenging, some hurdle that seems just insurmountable. Um, but you know, I'm still here and I'm still doing what I want to do and, um, still living the life that I value and that I believe has purpose and merit. And that, that really at the end of the day is all you can ask is to live a life that you think has meaning. Absolutely. I think that is definitely the most important, you know, listening to your story there and talking about just your journey with not just your blindness, but the brain tumor and being in the wheelchair and all the surgeries and everything. I mean, you were destined to either be a musician or a comedian, I think, because they always say the best <laughs> comedians are the ones that have the most tragedy and things that they can talk about, you know? Yeah. So it's like you, There's you, truth you only that. had... Yeah, you only had a couple of ways you were going to go. Um, and, uh, and of course, music being so influential in your life, just, you know, that's where you went. And, I, and I'm very glad that you did uh, because you take those, ex those experiences and, and take what you've learned and, and what you've felt and what you've been through, uh, despite, you know, the blindness, despite all the other things, and put that into music. When you said earlier that, you know, music didn't occur to you until, until later on. What was your life like then growing up? What, what was a young Joey like? What were you into? So basically, I mean, you know, one of the things I'd say, actually, interesting, you mentioned a comedian, because actually about 30% of my live show is comedy. 
Um, I tell stories, I tell, a bunch, tell <laughs> a bunch of dumb jokes. And one of the reasons that my marriage is such a happy one is my wife laughs at all my stupid jokes, whether they're funny or not. And that, my friends, is the secret to a happy marriage. But anyway, um, yeah, so as, as an early kid, you know, um, I loved music, but I, I listened to it, never thought I would play it. Um, my dad played some guitar, my mom sang some. Uh, and, um, so, you know, I, I, I loved music and, and my dad actually had a, a 1955, um, Fender Stratocaster that, caster that he had kept from when he was, uh, you know, uh, playing country music in the fifties oh, and wow. it was, yeah, beautiful guitar. Ooh. So there's a picture of me when I'm like oh, three yeah. years old and the guitar is like, you know, bigger than I am. And he's, he's positioned my hands on the guitar. I had no idea. I really, I have no memory of the picture, frankly, but he, he positioned my hands on the guitar. Like my fist is resting on top of the guitar. And apparently it's a very rock star looking pose. And um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's funny. And my mom, it was weird. My mom, when I was like five, she tried to get me lessons. She, she somehow convinced this professor at one of the universities to give me a guitar lesson. And he's like, well, ma'am, he's so young. I just don't think. It. And she's like, no, no, I want to. So they took me to the guitar lesson. And uh, the, the guy's like, he was very loving about it. But he said, ma'am, something to the effect. I mean, the child can't even hold the guitar. He's too small. You know, it's just, he, there's no way his fingers will even, he can't even hold the frets down. You know, there's just no way. And uh, so that, that, that was the one uh, lesson I had. And then when I was, you know, about, I guess when I was maybe 12 or 13, I took piano lessons for, or may, I may have been a little bit younger. I took piano lessons for a couple months and, you know, didn't take to it. Um, just, I don't know. I just didn't like it. And, uh, um, and then uh, I took guitar when I was, you know, maybe 13. And I, I don't know, I learned one chord and again, it just, just didn't connect. And my mom was so disappointed. And my dad said, you know, honey, if, if he wants to play, there's nothing you can do that will stop him. So he, if he wants to, you know, he'll do it. And then I didn't start really playing until I was 17. But anyway, as a young kid, I primarily, uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I almost died several times um, from, from the time of the surgery through about 13 years old. And it was just really hard just going to school. I went to a regular school, didn't go to any kind of blind academy or anything. Um, there was nobody in my town, no one for 300 miles uh, that taught Braille. So I didn't have access to that. I did have, have access to uh, a mobility instructor that taught me some basic, you know, cane techniques and sighted guide stuff. And, and that was all helpful. Um, I, you know, the computers were not a thing back then. Um, that you would have in your home or have any kind of access to. So there was really no accessibility. So I just went to regular high school and just sort of chucked it out. And we just said, Hey, you're going to have to verbalize, you know, when you're writing stuff on the board, you got to say what you're writing. You can't just write it up there. Um, and, um, and then, you know, but, but my, my life was consumed primarily with just getting through school, um, figuring out how I was going to do things that everybody else was doing as far as academic stuff. Um, my parents tried really hard to give me a lot of different experiences and to give me, you know, access to things. I mean, they put a beeper in a basketball goal to try and, um, see if I wanted to, you know, see if I could play basketball, not, not, you know, on a course, but just to have the experience. Sure, the just basketball. For fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I was abysmal. But the thing is, as a as a sick child, uh, you know, I didn't have growth hormone either, so I wasn't growing. So I was pretty short. I'm six feet tall now, but uh, you know, at the time, you know, I was very small, and and you could count my ribs. I was really thin. Um, and, and it's just because I had, you know, medical science was nowhere near what it is now. So it, it took several years to kind of figure out all the different issues that I had and, and, and try to sort of correct those so I could live as normal life as possible. But at any rate, yeah, I, I basically, you know, tried not to die, essentially. Um, and that's a good thing. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, you know, that was that was a big part. That probably took, you know, 50 percent of my life, maybe 60. And um, then I went to school and then um, I, I enjoyed I always loved reading. So my mom would read me lots of books. Uh, I was always drawn to adventure books or science fiction books. Um, so I, I loved a lot of those. But I also have to tell you, I'm still a Winnie the Pooh fan. Uh, I, I, love, I still love Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh is a hero in our house. Absolutely. I mean, Winnie the Pooh, that AAML is like, you know, so Alice in Wonderland, Winnie the Pooh, you know, Winnie the Willows. I still love, I still love those books now and think they're genius. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Um, uh, yep. So a lot, a lot of stuff. And I, I loved movies as a child. I mean, I primarily, as you know, you know, I, I can follow the dialogue. Um, love scenes and car chases aren't that exciting, but uh uh yeah <laughs> no. you know uh but other than that you know but i mean but but i can follow the dialogue and, and if the music's good and the sound's good and then of course i just if i don't know what's going on i just lean over to my wife and very quietly say what just happened or or she may she may lean over and just tell me or if you know now in the last five six years i described movies and tv shows have become you know a real thing but you know it, it, that's really a recent development yeah they've been around a while but the, the pickings were pretty limited but now it's starting to happen where they're they're really something you can you can get into and 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 really work for you. But man, when when I was growing up and and you know even like I say maybe you know maybe six seven years ago they started becoming really you know people were doing more of it. Uh, prior to that, you just didn't have much of those. So um, you know that's that's really. But I, again, I, I listen to my music. I listen to the Beatles and album and Chipmunks and. I listened to, uh, you know, I listened, I listened to uh, Pac-Man's Fever. That was a great song. I listened to U2. Always been a big U2 fan. Journey and um, Kajagoogoo and all these great, and Wham! and all these 80s bands. Michael Jackson. Um, and so so um, I, I loved all this. And I, I loved toys. You know, I, was, I still am a big collector of, of Star Wars toys. And I like toys partly because it lets me visualize what's on the screen. Uh, but mostly I just like toys. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, gonna, I can't I'm, blame you there. I you know, totally agree. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and disguise the fact that I like toys because they're toys. Uh, but I do, I do, uh, <laughs> I, I do get something out of them more than just the fun of, you know, whatever I, 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 I enjoy getting primarily. I like spaceships. I like, I like to have start the starship Voyager and the millennium Falcon. And, you know, so I can tell if they look at the screen. Um, the whole thing about um, feeling people's faces and stuff. Now, you know, some blind people like that. To me, all I feel is a skull. So I, I don't get a whole lot from that. So I can't pretend the action figures are anything but me enjoying myself. <laughs> I can't pretend. That's all, that's all it is. If I like Han Solo. I got a Han Solo action figure. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, and, and as a kid, I mean, I had, 
I, I had everything. It, it was it was ridiculous. Um, so and it, it's 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 not as bad. I mean, I I've, I've cut my toy buying down by seventy five percent, but I still I still uh, I still buy a few things here and there. And and you know, they're tangible physical representations of places I've been. You know, when I'm traveling around, or like uh, we went to New York for something, and um, we were there to, to support a friend who's a, a brilliant composer and, and had a did a soundtrack to a wonderful documentary and he invited us to come see the the uh the the you know the united states or actually the north american premiere of the film at the united nations and um we were really we were honored to go and there's a very very few tickets available and he gave us a couple of tickets we flew up just for that and i thought well let's we celebrated national wildlife day in new york and I was like, well, let's finish it off tonight. Go see Lion King on Broadway. So I, I have like a Lion King blanket that I, <laughs> that I, that I, nice. that I adore, you know, because it's, it's a tangible thing that I can remember, you know, that, that time pictures don't really, we have tons and tons of pictures, but probably primarily to share with social media. Uh, they don't really do anything for me, obviously. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, so I, you know, and as a kid, um, my, again, my parents were so great about trying to give me every experience. So I had an Atari, even though I couldn't play worth a flip. Uh, I had an Atari and I, I tried, but at least, at least I could hear the sounds and play with it. And my friends could come over and play games. And, you know, so I, my mom, I was upset one day when I probably was 11 years old. I'd come home from school. She's like, you seem a little down, you know, honey, what's wrong? I said, well, you know, all the kids at school are jumping out of swings, mom. It's really cool, but I can't figure out how to do it. Cause I don't know when to jump, you know, cause I can't see the ground come, you know, I have, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll uh, she said, what I'll do is uh, we'll go out. Cause I had a swing set. We'll go out and uh, you swing and I'll tell you when to jump. Okay. So <laughs> that was a disaster. The first jump, I broke my arm. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can imagine. Jeez. Yeah. So that wasn't our brightest moment, but that's the kind of thing, honestly, as much as I did not like, I, I didn't like having a broken arm. Uh, but as much as I didn't like that experience, I wouldn't trade it. I really wouldn't. Um, I like that sort of, yeah, you can do it. It might be a terrible idea, but it'll, it'll probably be fine. <laughs> it might be okay. Maybe yeah. I might get a broken arm, yeah, but you know, I'll survive. The bone. But I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, I love that about my parents that they gave me what they taught me essentially was not to be afraid. Um, and, and, you know, and, and to, to live. And I like that. I think, I think at least for me, it really works. You know, I, I'm not saying that my mode of living is what everybody else should do, but for me and for the way my spirit works, the way my mind works, the way my heart works, all, all, I, you know, it, it just all works really well. And, and I, you know, I'm a, for the first year or so that my wife and I were married, she thought, she used to think, well, I just asked him a question. He didn't even think about the answer. He just said whatever first came to his mind. And then she realized that basically from the time I was a young child, people were telling me, okay, um, this might kill you, but we got to do it. And, and so, you know, my position was I always analyzed the data that I had. Um, and if, you know, if I, I mean, I, if, if there's only so much information coming and there's not going to be any more, then you take the, there's no point agonizing over it. You take the pieces of information you have, you think about it, you figure out what's, what's the best option out of a bunch of crappy options. And you just, you make a decision and move forward. That's the only way I know how to be. 
Um, so I tell people I have two speeds ahead, which is basically a sleep and full speed ahead. That's it. I'm either asleep <laughs> or, or everything is two just, gears, full, yeah. you know, you know, just, just pedal through the metal. That's, that's, that's just what I know. That's, that's that. And you know, there are, there are many attributes to that and there are some flaws as well, but, um, it's just what I know. It's, it's how I, it's how I operate. And what she realizes now is that I analyze situations extremely quickly, make a decision, move on, don't think about it anymore. And it's not, at first she thought I wasn't paying attention. And then she realized that actually I had thought about all the options and choices that were available and made a decision. And so she likes to think about it for several days. I, I take 10, 15 minutes, I'm done. I'm okay. Well, here's all the information I have. There's no more coming. If there's no more information coming, if there's nothing new I can learn that might change my decision, I will make a decision and do the best I can. But I was very, very sick until I turned about 16 years old. And, and I don't know what happened, but around 16, I started having better health. Uh, possibly it was just that medical science improved and the medications were better. I don't know. But, uh, you know, for the first years of my life, you know, I, I, I did things that a normal kid would do and, and uh, did many things that a blind kid probably shouldn't have done. Um, but I, I like the, you know, the fact is I have a very broad understanding of the world. I have a very good, and my parents, my dad did a ton of stuff in politics and, and did a lot of things I'm so proud of. And, uh, whenever they traveled, you know, if I was well, I would go too. And they made sure that as a child, I went, I went everywhere that they possibly could take me. Um, so I, you know, they, they felt like, and I think rightly so that schools are wonderful and schools are important and they are essential to, to, to evolving into a human that's worth knowing, but going out and living and being around, you know, other people with different ways of life and different ways of perceiving things is even more important. So they took me everywhere that they could possibly take me. And so I, I got to meet presidents and, and congressmen and, and senators and all kinds of people that, that the kind of people that surround them people with big ideas and, and lots of dreams, some, some good, some, some not so good, some practical, some not practical, <laughs> but you meet a lot of really fascinating people. Some of them turn out yep. to be nuts, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, I'm sure a lot of them turn out to be nuts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean there honestly are some people I was like, wow, that person's not operating with a full day. Uh, but, but I mean, but, but it, regardless of that, it gives you an ability to really perceive the world as what it is and not just a narrow, slice it, it really destroys confirmation bias there's no way to have it when you when you're exposed to all this difference and again that gets back to my sort of eclectic nature well yeah you, you've talked about that with the eclectic nature and openness of your parents and your upbringing and your background that obviously of course influenced your music and not just what you enjoy but what's influenced you and, and what's really been uh, you know infused into the music that you create but obviously is carried over into your life as you've talked about with you know your your outlook on living life and with your, your wife and your, you know, the way that you approach music and approach your life. I'm sure it's the way that you approach your students in teaching. And, and you know what, let's get into that a little bit because you said that 16 years old was kind of a turnaround uh, where, you know, you were starting to get healthier and feel better. You did mention earlier, you started to really get into playing guitar at 17. Yeah. And so you go off to college. Now you went to Mercer in uh, Georgia, correct? Yeah. Went to Mercer University. It's uh, here in Macon, Georgia, which is where I still live. Yeah, so I, I, I teach there now too, which is a real, that's a real thrill for me. To, yeah, to I was just going to say that. That's yeah. where you are the uh, professor of, now I'm probably going to get this wrong, of tech, tech, technical media. It's, uh, how, yeah, te is, professor of music, music technology is the way it's listed. There it me. is. 
in, in the <laughs> official catalog. But what's really great is having that passion and, and sharing that with other people. And I mentioned at the top of the show, and we'll get into this in a moment because I want your feelings about this, um, about you being you know, the official ambassador of music for uh, for Macon. Right. But, but we'll get to that in a minute because first, I, I think if there was ever anybody ever that had the right to name drop, it's Joey Stuckey. Because not only are you a singer and songwriter and, you know, great guitarist in your own right with your own music and what you do and create and then being a professor like we've talked about. But as a producer, you have really been, I'll just say, blessed to be in the studio producing some of the best of the best. I want, I, I'm, I'm asking, you don't have to, but I'm requesting for you, go ahead and, <laughs> go ahead and name drop a few of your uh, more favorites, if you have some favorites, or if you don't want to say favorites out loud and get in trouble, you know, who, who have you enjoyed producing? Well, I have been really blessed, and I've worked hard for it, but, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be rewarded. Um, so I, I really have been lucky. One of, one of my favorite, I mean, so I, I want to answer that two ways. The first thing I want to say is that while I do treasure the ability to work with these incredible other artists and producers and sound men and, and, and you know, engineers and, and all, and, you know, musicians. And I'm very grateful for it. And I love every minute of it. The thing that I value overall more is to be able to help someone at the beginning of their journey and give them a good experience for their first experience and be able to help set them on a path for success. So that I really treasure um, above anything else is working with that's honestly be extremely rewarding i'm sure it, it really is to work with someone that's new and someone that because there are so many people that have horrible experiences and and i just hate that and there are some people that who have almost been turned off of music totally from the recording process or some i had a friend who um who didn't play music had a has a music degree didn't play music for five or six years because her, one of her professors was so awful uh just ruined the love of music for her and uh, that that's just that's not acceptable uh, i mean it just it just isn't and uh, so um I but agree. i i have had the chance to uh work with some amazing people so one, just a couple of people that i that i really love working with and and there's i could spend a whole show just on this but just um jimmy hall from the band wet willie is uh one of my favorites um he's just a, a joy to work with super talented he plays saxophone he plays harmonica like almost nobody else and he's also an incredible singer and uh he uh, he was he's also played with he's currently fronting uh jeff beck's band right now as the vocalist for the jeff beck band um oh, yeah. and he uh he's also played with greg allman he's also uh he you know the band that he was in was wet willie but he also played with hank williams uh state um jr um and has done just has worked with a million different amazing legends so he's really great and and dear to this area of the country in particular um i also um love working with my friend randall bramlett and randall plays uh piano uh he's just an incredible keyboard player incredible singer an incredible sax player and, and he's done a lot with he played with the band traffic he's played with steve winwood um he's also played with greg allman he has his own band, which is really incredible. And he's also written several songs that were actually recorded by like Bonnie Raitt and people like that. So Randall's really amazing. Uh, some people may remember him from a band called Sea level uh, And, and he was, he's just, an, just an incredible musician and a dear friend. So that's, that's always joyous. 
um, a new, another friend of mine who's just really incredible that I made friends with over the last uh, year and a half, two years is Ron St. Germain and Ron's an incredible producer and engineer. He's recorded everybody from, he actually started his life as an engineer on Sesame street and uh, his professional life. But it was the first, yeah. Isn't that great? It was, <laughs> was his first gigs. And then he's, he's it. done like everybody from, he's worked with like Stevie wonder. Uh, he's worked with the band tool. Um, he's, he's just, he worked with the band living color. Um, so, I mean, I just, he's worked with so many famous groups, Matthew sweet and all these. Are, so just, he's really incredible. Um, and, uh, I also really enjoy working with Al Chez. Al Chez is the trumpet, one of the trumpet players for tower of power. And he also played for over 17 years with the, uh, Paul Schaefer band, uh, on the late show with David Letterman. And he's just, oh, yeah. yeah, he's an incredible trumpet player. And uh, so I just love working with Nate East uh, as, as a good friend of mine, a bass player. And he has played with Eric Clapton and members of um, Coldplay and members of Radiohead and um, all kinds of people. You can just go on naming forever. Uh, he's, he's not only a, an amazing musician, but just a beautiful spirit. Um, and so just so many amazing people. Uh, like that um, you know I mean Alan Parsons of course is someone that I'm honored to have uh, participated in recording his new album um, and someone I've learned from um, so he's great Ross Hogarth's another friend of mine that I've learned a lot from and he produced Van Halen and, and Melissa Etheridge and uh, so many people and Ross actually has uh, I won't go into it here but actually has some really cool ties to, to make and Georgia as well actually uh, he's never I don't know that he's ever been here but he has some, some ties here through a band called the Dixie Chicks and also through REM so um, yeah so I mean you know there's just so many I mean I could just go on forever I've, I've had a chance to work with uh, some of the folks from Leonard Skinner and some of the folks from Marshall Tucker and uh, some jazz greats like Alan Vizzuti and Sammy Nestico, David Berger. David Berger is responsible for starting jazz at Lincoln Center. Um, so j just so many people. I mean, I, I can't pick a favorite, but the, but there's just so lucky to have met and known these guys. Uh, Rio Okamoto is a, a great keyboard player, a friend of mine that's been in the band called Spock's Beard, which is a, a role sort of famous progressive rock band. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic. So it really just, I mean, there's just a million different ones, but, um, you know, um, one, another, another good drummer friend of mine, um, that has uh, been part of my life for the past couple of years. Uh, and also we're hoping to do, uh, some recording together. Haven't done it yet, but his name is, um, Tra is, um, <laughs> is Travis Scott. I've got, got messed up there for a second there. Scott Travis is what I was trying to say. Um, and he is the drummer for a little band, that you may have heard of called Judas Priest and uh, has uh, been, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's been, he's been their drummer since, uh, Oh, I think mid eighties. And uh, if you haven't heard it, um, you, you, I was trying, I was trying to say Scott Travis and I kept getting messed up uh, because <laughs> they're both uh, first names kind of, um, but, right. um, but that's okay. He messed up introducing me at the whiskey. So, well, <laughs> Oh well, there now, you go. Now we're now it's we're totally even. Fair. I'll tell you if you if you want to hear some really kick butt rock drumming, all you gotta do is go to go to Judas Priest's catalog and get the song Painkiller, and you will you will hear some really outstanding drumming on that whole album. But but that track, 
so yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been incredible. And of course, I've had the chance to to um, meet in various capacities, uh, like like I said, uh, George Thorogood, uh, the the Billy from the Cult, um, um, Danny Seraphin from Chicago, um, uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss. Um, so uh, you, know, uh, you know, just just a lot of different people, and, it, and it's it's been a blast, man. The guys from Yes. Um, you know, all those, all those guys I'm a huge fan of, um, I've, I've got a chance to meet, I haven't had a chance to work with him, but I've got a chance to meet and talk to one of my favorites, a gentleman named Adrian Ballou, who's really a fantastic guitar player and singer. And he has played with people like Frank Zappa and, uh, a band called King Crimson you may have heard of. And, um, yep. the, the, he's just a crazy great guitar player and a great singer too. And uh, super neat guy. And um, so, yeah, and as the music ambassador of Macon, whenever I get a chance, I, Macon is one of the several places that claims to be the birthplace of the novelty instrument, the kazoo. And so I give out little <laughs> Joey Stucky kazoos. And there, nice. I, have, I have pictures of me with like Charlie Daniels and me with Gene Simmons a Kiss and even me with Adrian Ballou and, and even my very first real jazz band that i got into as a teenager spira gyra i got a chance to, to meet those guys and i gave them all the joey stucky kazoos and i've got pictures of all of them with the kazoos like playing them or or you know different things like that gene simmons oddly was blowing in the wrong end but uh, i think that might be some sort of euphemism <laughs> i think that might be we don't need to go there no, i think it's but some that's... sort of statement is all i'm saying Yes, uh, that's truly a Gene Simmons unique sure statement, was, I'm sure. I'm not 100% sure that was an error. <laughs> I have a feeling it was not. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, man. So, um, it's just, it's so many amazing, amazing people that I've met. So then during your life and career that is still going strong, probably as strong now as ever. Yeah, I think so. You've been, you've definitely, you've been a professor of music and, you know, singer, songwriter, producer, all these things that we've talked about. And we've mentioned it a couple of times of being the official ambassador of music for the city of Macon, where you've lived and, and grown up most of your life. Yeah. I've been here since talk I was 15. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Talk to me about that honor of the kind of a, I don't want to say a culmination because it's not like your career is over, you know, right, but, right, right. but, to, but to be honored in that way from your hometown where you're a teacher, where you, you know, produce and make music and, and are a big part of the art scene. What was that like to receive that honor from, from Macon? Yeah. So, I mean, it really, I, I, I've always been an advocate of our town and making this famous we have some famous musicians from here uh little richard just a couple yeah 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 <laughs> otis otis redding um we we the almond brothers are not from here but they lived here for a long time we have the almond brothers museum here in town um so and, uh, might they might as well have been from there yeah they might yeah, they really <laughs> seriously uh, and, and so and this is where they found home and and so, so many, so many of these bands, again, my, my friend, Jimmy Hall from Wet Willie, that was a band, you know, uh, a, a, another dear friend of mine who sadly passed away and, and was, um, was very, very much moving towards uh, a management deal with me um, was uh, someone named Ian Copeland. And that name may sound familiar to you. And the reason it probably does is because of his brother, Stuart Copeland, who was the drummer for the police. And oh, yeah. Ian, right. Ian had, a, had a company called Frontier Booking International. And his brother, uh, Miles, his other brother, started a record label called IRS. 
which as you may or may not know, gave several of the big Georgia bands a, a, sh- a real shot, uh, like the B-52s and R.E.M. And so um, Ian lived in Macon for two or three years. And um, I got a chance to meet him. He was writing a book about his life and, and we were working on several uh, deals together. And I, tr- I have tried for years to get him to the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, get him uh, you know, in that. Uh, now, sadly, there is no longer a Georgia Music Hall of Fame, but uh, that's another story. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, I- I've always been a big advocate for Macon and its history and honoring that, but more importantly, for its future and trying to build what I like to call musical infrastructure. So, it, you know, the only difference between Macon and New York, Macon and L.A., Macon and Nashville, um, is that those places have an infrastructure that allows musicians to live there and make money from, from there. Now, will you in this day and age have to travel some and go to those other places? You will. But primarily oh, sure. with the Internet, with FedEx, with air travel, that's so ubiquitous. Um, and again, it really can't be said enough with the internet. Um, you really don't have to live in those places for 85% of the music jobs you might get. And so I've been just trying all these years to work hard. And I've always found that in life, there are essentially two choices, complain about something or do something about something. So whenever I found something lacking, rather than sit around and moan about it, I was like, well, if that's not here, then I'll create it. So um, that is what I've always done. And uh, I, I, you know, I did, I, I realized I got tired of going on TV in, in town and these TV stations are not set up for bands to perform. And I just got tired of going on TV in town and going, oh God, the audio is just terrible. You know? And we, we deserve better than that. Now it's not the TV station's fault. I'm not blaming them. They're not designed to, to, to do what they were doing. So I thought about it and I said, oh, well, you know, what I should do is partner with a TV station. They got the cameras. They got the lights. I got a studio. We'll set the bands up in my studio. We'll mix them here. We'll feed them right to the cameras and we can do a music show. And that's what we did. And um, so we, we did that. I did that for three years with a local NBC station. So, I mean, you know, I, I was on radio doing the same thing. So I've, I've advocated and, and worked hard. There was a time when I was on radio every week. I had a, a, a music business um, workshop once a, once a month. I had a music songwriting workshop once a month at different locations. One was at a music store um, like a, that sold guitars and instruments and stuff. The other was at a, like a media play. We had a concert series at Media Play because they had a perfect space for an acoustic concert series. So, you know, whenever I found nice. something, yeah, so whenever I found something I, that I thought, well, gosh, we really need X, I was like, okay, well, it's not here, so I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll make it. I'll build it. So um, that is why uh, the mayor and city council in 2006 appointed me as the official music ambassador of Macon, Georgia. And it's mostly honorary, but it also – uh, gives me a little bit of, while I can't make any uh, governmental decisions, um, I, I can't enact any laws or anything like that, um, what I can do is represent my hometown wherever I go and try to broaden our outreach, uh, both of art and opportunities and cultural events coming to our hometown and the reverse, exporting things from my hometown to other places. So I've done a lot of that. And, and then... 
draft in 2017, uh, they. Oh, go ahead. Were you gonna say something? No, Are go for me? it. No. Okay. No, go ahead. Start. You can start over. Go ahead. Okay. So then, in 2017, um, the um, the mayor, which a different mayor, um, actually recognized September 29th as Joey Stuckey Alive Day and made a pro- proclamation that in making bib, that was going to be uh, something that was celebrated in an official uh, event that that uh, was uh, was uh, I guess sanctioned, for lack of a better word, by the government. And um, Joey Stuckey Alive Day is a music festival I started in 2017 to celebrate uh, the day that I beat the brain tumor all those years ago when I was 28 months old. And uh, it, it was it was a festival about love and about music. And we were doing, we, we started having, I wanted, it was something my parents invented when I was a child as a way to keep me focused on being positive. Instead of saying, oh, this is the day you almost died. What they said instead is this is the day you beat the odds. And so we always celebrate a live day very quietly on September 29th as a way to thank, you know, be thankful for all the blessings we had and, and, and the fact that I survived. And, but uh, in 2017, I was like, man, I want to do something more. I want to do something more. And, um, and we did. And we started having this festival and bringing bands in from, to town and, um, and all this kind of stuff. So, so I, I love making, making loves me. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very much a reciprocal thing. And I'm, I'm very proud of that in so much as um, it has allowed me to really I feel like giving me the tools I needed to help my hometown, which is the place that I love so much. And, and, and also it's a nice honor to be recognized for all your hard work. I appreciate, I appreciate someone saying, Hey, thank you for what you've done. We value it. That, that means a lot. Just, just, you know, a thank you means a lot. Well, especially with the twists and turns literally that your life has taken to have someone say, you know what? despite all that, that's not even a thought to us. That that's, that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at what you do for our city, what you do for music, what you do for students and, and, and people around here and, and advocate and, and, you know, being an ambassador for music for us, we appreciate what you do and we want to make it official. And I love that. And I love the idea of a live day. Like you talked about when I had seen some of that on the internet and I saw some stuff on YouTube about a live day with some concerts and things. I love that idea because as you said, it's, you know, a different type of celebration. It's not necessarily looking at the negative. It is looking at the positive and looking to the future. And as you know, we've talked about this and, and the listeners know, of course, that's my driving force. That's what keeps me getting behind this microphone as much as I possibly can, because I, I want people to understand when it comes to blindness, you know, of course, that you want to look to the future. Yes, there can be times that are awful, but there are days that can be fantastic and tr- turning that negative into a positive like you've done with, you know, the live day concerts and, you know, the, the ambassadorship that you do and the producing that you do and just, you know, living that life that you do uh, is a huge reason as to why I was so happy to have you on the show. And to that point, as we're wrapping up here, Joey, as I ask all of my guests and, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, um, although you, you, you may have given some, some answers already. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, I have a feeling we've already heard some things that are possible for this, but I always love to ask my guests uh, a question that I do for my regular show called because of my blindness. And for those who don't know, this is where I ask people to submit stories or if I'm interviewing someone, I ask them this question and tell me, 
a story about their life or an experience or someone that they've met where it might not have otherwise happened if you hadn't been blind. So what type of experience can you share with us, Joey? Maybe it's something you've already shared, but is there something else? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's tons of things you could tell us. Is there something that uh, has happened in your life that you're like, you know what? If it wasn't for my blindness, I wouldn't have been in that position to have had that experience or met that person or be influenced by that. My blindness put me there and I'm better for it or I'm inspired or, or whatever for it. What, what can you tell me about that, Joey? Well, you're a wise man. You you have you have sussed out rather quickly that I have a million stories to tell and and not enough time to tell them. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna tell you three quick snapshots. Uh, I'm gonna make them All right. pretty 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 brief. I could expand on them, but I'm just gonna make them pretty brief. But I think they I think they get to the heart of what you're saying. Um, the first one is I don't really believe that any experience is 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 wasted and what i mean by that is i think that your negative experiences can motivate and shape you in positive ways just as much as your positive experiences can i'm not saying that, that i want to repeat some of the experiences i've had i don't but i am the one that wins if i let those those moments of tragedy, those moments of stress, those moments of fear, if I let them work to my advantage, then I'm the one that wins. If I don't let them work to my advantage, I'm the one that loses. So I want to be a winner. And so um, I, I believe that every experience I have can work to my good if I'll let it. So it's my general philosophy that I am who I am. I am what I am all because of things that have happened to me, blindness included. And some days, as everyone that listens to this knows, that's not an easy road. Uh, there are days that are frustrating. And by the way, it's perfectly reasonable to, to say, I am frustrated. I am angry. I am sad. Oh, yeah. It, it, those things are normal and healthy. If you were happy all the time, I would be concerned. I would be like, wow, you're a serial killer. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I mean, right. you know, you, there would be... Seriously, there'd be something medically wrong with you if you were happy all the time. So saying, boy, being blind is very frustrating today because of X. And that's okay. What's not okay is to live in that moment and make that your total reality. So you want to you wanna experience that moment. You want to make it transitory and let it pass you by. You, you say how you feel. You express your frustration. And then you get on about the business of living and, and being all that you can be. And you have to recognize that you are a unique creation that has something beautiful, amazing, and totally unique to offer the universe. So I really believe that with everything that I am. And I think every person in their own time will, can cut that realization and do something amazing. But three things that I think wouldn't have happened if I wasn't blind. One of them is I got a chance i was performing at an aquarium seems like an odd gig but uh whatever if they pay me but i'm sure on. the acoustics so, are fantastic <laughs> yeah it was pretty cool and actually you know there, there is like actually a noise ordinance like a certain db level you're not supposed to go over because it upsets the fish so that was my jazz band that was playing we didn't play the heavy rock <laughs> stuff but um we, we we were up there playing and the the girl that hired me to come play she had hired us to come play before. We used to be a real favorite at the aquarium, and they don't have as many there now as they used to. They don't have as many 
you know, events as they used to. Um, but w- one day I came to the aquarium to play and I was telling the young lady that hired me, I said, man, you know, I love penguins. They're like my favorite animal. And you guys never have the penguin exhibit open when I'm here. And I never get a chance to check out the penguins when I'm here. And it's just ridiculous. And I was kind of kidding around because once again, I was there and the penguin is closed. And so we're playing we're playing. She comes up after one of our songs and said, Hey, can y'all take an early break? I, I, I need to talk to you a second. I'm thinking, uh Oh, <laughs> what have I done wrong? You know? Cause when they say, Hey, can you take an early break? I need to talk to you. Eh, not a good sign. And not so good, I put though. my guitar down. Yeah. I put my guitar down. I got off stage. I said, okay, we'll be back in about 15 minutes, you know, and taking a short break. And she said, come with me. So I just, you know, put my hand on her shoulder and we just walked off. She took me back to back and these three young ladies in the animal husbandry department of the aquarium brought a baby penguin out and put it in oh. my arms and let me hold it and pet it. Oh. And wow. it was incredible. It was incredible. And the only reason that happened, I mean, if I wasn't a blind person, that would have not happened. They would not, they would not have taken a general member of the public back there, but I had played for them several times and, and, you know, I, I couldn't see him. And, and I, I, all I wanted to say, I just want to, I just, I, and I think I had said something to the effect, like, it's okay. Cause even if the penguins, if it was, it was open, I probably wouldn't be able to get much out of it. Cause I, I wouldn't be able to touch them. You right. know, I wouldn't be able, I'd just be able to, you know, walking around or whatever. Um, but, uh, I think that I think that moved her because she could tell I was really passionate about the animal and knew a lot about them. And so they took me back there and I have a picture that she took on her cell phone because I didn't know what was going to happen. So I come back to play and all the guys like, Where, where'd you go, man? You just disappeared. I, I just got the whole baby penguin. And they were all really upset. And they were all like, they were jealous. Like, I want to pet the penguin too. I was like, well, when you're blind, you can pet the penguin. <laughs> if you want to oh, give up your awesome. eyesight, you can go pet the penguin. Yeah, but it was you gotta, way gotta cool. Pay for it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you got you got to pay for it. You got to earn it. This does not come free. You, so yeah. I think isn't in there in there a uh, <laughs> isn't there in there a song on on the uh, to pimp a butterfly album about something doesn't come for free? Um, I won't tell you something what he's like referencing, that, yes. but yeah, yeah, he, no. it, it doesn't come for free apparently. Um, yeah. So so um, there, there was that, and then I I met my wife at one of the lowest points in my life. And I, we were, all my dates were like blind dates, haha. But like, this was really a blind date because somebody set us up. Yep. And uh, she, by the way, got out of the business of setting people up because she wanted to have a hundred percent success record. <laughs> so, but she set us up. And at the, at the time, isn't that great? At the time, I, I was like, man, this is not the time for me to meet a new lady. I am just not at my best. And I thought to myself, I have three strikes against me. I'm blind, strike number one. I'm in a wheelchair at the moment, strike number two. I'm a musician, strike number three. And <laughs> so I was like, ah, you know, I was like, ah, you know, it's just not the right time. And then I thought, what's the worst that can happen? And so I called this, this young lady up that I got in her number and that young lady is my wife now of 17 years. And it, the worst that can happen is we've been married for 17 years. And it was just one of those things where 
you know, if I hadn't been in the wheelchair, if I hadn't been blind, who knows if I'd ever have met her. Um, it, it just all happened. You know, it just all, it just all happened. And, and it, it was, it was meant to happen. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying there aren't days of frustration. I'm not saying that at all, but I don't really spend much time thinking about, well, what if I could see, or what if I didn't have the brain tumor? What if, you know, what if I still had my right shoulder? I, I really don't spend time on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm not saying that occasionally it's not frustrating, um, but you know, or, or, or even traumatic, but I just don't spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about that. And then I'll tell you one other thing. Uh, I believe that I am uniquely qualified to be in music and be in sound in particular as a blind person. I'm not saying that I'm better than my sighted colleagues. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that I have a more natural connection to sound in a profound way that sighted people typically do not. Uh, it is literally my universe. I don't smell. I don't see. So all I am is a big set of ears that walks around. And, uh, you know, and, and I, just, I just find... I find that I am connected to sound in a way that makes me someone you would want to have on your record and, uh, and want a producer record. And, and who knows if I'd even be in music if I wasn't blind, because I have so many other interests. I am, Tim, I am, I am fascinated by the universe. I am amazed by it. I, uh, I love physics. I love science fiction. I love toys. I love uh, baseball. If I could see, I'd probably be playing baseball. Uh, if if I could see, I might be mm -hmm. an astro. You know, I, I might be an astrophysicist. Yeah. So so all those things. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be in music. If I, I mean, I love music. I don't think music would ever not be a part of my heart. But I don't know if it'd be where I, what I got to do for a living. But I think that I'm not saying I'm not saying I haven't put a lot of work into it because I certainly have. But I do think there's a special connection between me and audio uh, that that some side of people can't really appreciate without a lot more effort. I think I think I come to it in some ways more naturally and, and get certain key elements a little bit easier than some of my sighted counterparts. And that's not to say they're not talented or that I'm better than them because I, I don't believe that at all. But I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm I'm content to be who I am and where I am. I really am. And uh you know, outside of outside of not wanting to have COVID nineteen, uh, <laughs> and I don't really, oh, yes. I I don't want I don't want to lose my hearing, and I certainly don't want to lose any more joints if I can help it. Uh, you know, I don't want to do any of that stuff. But but by and large, you know, I just feel content about where I am, and 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 uh, things do not move in the way that I want them to all the time. I I can promise you, um, at least from my perspective. The universe would be a much better place if it just bend to my will uh, now. <laughs> you know, well, I, yes, I, it, you know, it would be nice, you know, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean, you wouldn't believe the cool stuff we'd have. We would have flying cars, by the way. Uh, where are the fly <laughs> I've been promised flying cars since I was a child. Where is my flying car? So I'm just saying, we'd have flying cars. We'd have we'd have driverless cars by now. And I, I love you, sighted people. I really, really do. But if a few of you have to die so I can have a driverless car, 
that's just how it's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm just send your saying, emails too. No, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. I say it with love. Uh, <laughs> Sacrifice. Uh, um, but anyway, um, no, I, I just, by and large, I really am content with where I'm at and, and feel blessed to be here. Well, that's just, that's amazing to hear, Joey, because I, I think that, no, hold on. <clears throat> I have to clear my throat right in the middle of that. Let me do it again. It's so awesome to hear, Joey, and just the passion that you tell those stories with and the message behind it is is something that I think is extremely important for everyone to hear, whether you're blind, whether you've got some other sort of disability, if you're in a wheelchair like you were talking about in the past for you or you know whatever it is, follow your heart, believe in the passion that you have and feel and know that whatever you're doing, you know, wherever you are, it could be bad. It could be awful, but it can get better. And as you've talked about, and as you've described some of those times of your life where you were at your worst turned out to put you on a path to some of your best. And I think that that, you know, learning about that journey and hearing you describe that is so very important and, and very educational for myself and hopefully for the listeners. So I thank you so much for sharing those stories, Joey. Oh, my pleasure. And, and it really is true. I mean, when we, when we follow that passion, I like to call it intention. That's one of the, when I do my um, inspirational talks about being a blind brain tumor survivor and what success is for me, when I do those talks, I have four pillars of success that I like to talk about. And the first one, the most, the one that you really has to start the whole thing off, the genesis, is this idea of intention. When you live a life of intention, when you follow that passion that's in you, that thing that you're really good at, that thing you're really passionate about, when you do that, everything else unfolds from that moment of choice. And so I really think that there are people right now listening that have some amazing gift or maybe even a world, a revelation. I mean, it could be the next Einstein. We don't know. I mean, the people, you, you could have someone listening to your show right now that's going to be the next Newton or Einstein or the next Bill Gates or, 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 or the next uh, Pavarotti or who, you know, name your favorite person. And, sure. uh, you know, and, and you, but if you, if you don't follow that passion, because on the surface, many times, following your passion can seem ludicrous. You say, man, music's a horrible business. It's hard to make a living. There's basically, you know, entry level and then star. There's not much in between. And it looks that way. It really does. But there's tons of stuff in between. And, um, and so, you know, there's room for everybody to express themselves and to share and to grow. And it, it could be, you know, it could be anything. And, you know, we, we've been talking about blindness and other disabilities that are, that are physical in nature, but there are tons of other things that block us from reaching our full potential, um, the, the things that give us challenges. And, um, and, and we can overcome those things. That's the amazing thing about being human. We are infinitely, infinitely capable of variety and ingenuity and there's almost nothing that we can't do the human mind and body is just this incredible flexible thing and so i just really think that if you follow your heart you know, like i say you look at music and you think oh my gosh from a rational reasonable perspective that's a hard thing to do 
it may seem like wherever you are right now, there's no way forward. There's no way back. You don't know what to do. You may be in a place that's where you've had financial troubles, or maybe you don't have the education you want or the education you think you need, or maybe you've had marital troubles, or maybe you've had, uh, there's all kinds of different things that can put a stumbling block in your path. But whenever you follow that passion, you're never wrong. And you may not end up exactly where you thought you were going, but you'll always end up where you need to be. So I, I really believe that. And I, I don't believe it because of it sounds good or it's some sort of nice platitude. I believe it because I've lived it. I've lived it. I've seen it happen. If it can happen for me, it can happen for you. Uh, there's, no, there's no magic in what I do except that I follow my, my heart. I follow my instincts. And I am who I am unashamedly. Um, that's the secret sauce if you want it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, it, it really, it really is that simple. And yet it's a very profound and difficult thing sometimes to follow that passion because it's, 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 it's dangerous. Sometimes it's, it's, it's awkward. It, it, it may not be the best living you can earn that kind of thing. So it is, it is something you can do. And um, it is, it's just, I, I just tell you, man, if, if I can do it, you can do it. So I believe in, I believe in that, that life because I've lived that life. And as I said, you know, there are times that you think, oh my gosh, how can I possibly overcome this situation? But the answer will present itself. I, I will leave you with this. I like, I like two sayings and I share these two sayings with all my students, no matter what I'm teaching them. Um, I teach for two universities now, music technology, essentially, but I have other private students and I do other master classes and stuff as well. And these are two phrases that I totally love. The, the first one is leap and the net will appear. So if you take that leap of faith, you may not be able to see where you're going to land. You may worry about landing badly or breaking an ankle, um, but the net will appear. The right opportunity will manifest itself. And it, it, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I, no way am I saying that, but I'm just saying that with, with continued effort, you will find that, that place that you want to be. You'll meet that goal that you want to meet. It takes continued effort, and it takes effort. It's easy to be successful when things are going right. It's hard to be successful when things are not going right, but that's when you really have to pull up, you know, pull up your bootlaces and get on with it. Um, and yep. and the, other, the other thing is, you may have the best plan ever created, but the minute you take that plan from your thought to putting it in the real world and other people in the real world don't act the way you want them to act or, you know, then, then the plan sometimes doesn't work. That doesn't mean it was a bad plan. Some other favorite saying is a military expression actually. And it is no plan survives contact with the enemy. And that just means that you have to be flexible. You have to think outside the box and be willing to do things that sometimes seem a little crazy but you know, but in the end can really make a difference. No, that's very well said, Joey. I love those quotes that that's fantastic. And I, I completely agree. I, I don't know that I can really add much more to that, that, uh, that would be worth anything. So I, I think that's a good place to, <laughs> to just leave it. Cause that's perfectly, perfectly said and, and ended. Um, so with that, then Joey, I, I want to say thank you so very much. I'm so glad thank that you. we finally were able to connect and do this and, uh, and have this conversation and to have you on the life of your blindness spotlight. I, I'm really appreciative of you coming on, sharing your story, talking about your journey and, you know, giving some motivation and some inspiration to the listeners out there uh you know with with everything that you've gone through so thank you
you so much, Joey, for coming on the show. My pleasure. So as we're wrapping up here then, Joey, I'm sure people are going to want to check out everything that you're doing. Uh, I encourage them to go check out your albums, listen to your music, check out your website, all that kind of stuff. If people want to get more information about what you're doing and, and listen to, to your music and just get everything Joey Stuckey, what should they do? Uh, the best place probably is joeystuckey.com. And uh, there's a photo gallery that's got some pretty cool stuff, some pretty good pictures. Um, they're kind of organized in some interesting ways, I think. Uh, there's the fan zone where you can get some free music and sign up for my email newsletter. Um, and then there's social media, which we try to do a lot with that. So at uh, Jay Stuckey Music for both Instagram and Twitter and then Facebook.com slash Joey Stuckey for that. I am not hip enough to do TikTok, I'm afraid. So I, no, <laughs> I haven't either. gotten not yet. TikTok or, 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 or Snapchat yet. I'm, I leave that for the youngins. But I, I will, um, I, I probably, I probably will move there eventually. Yeah, I mean, and then I'm on all the places you expect to find independent music, Amazon, iTunes, you know, all those places. So, you know, um, bless you know, blessings to everybody, and uh, you know, please come visit me on social media, shoot me an email, you know, find me on joeystudy.com, and I would, we'd love to chat, and hopefully we'll be in your town playing. And uh, I want to thank you, Tim, for doing, doing not only, not only having me on, but for doing this podcast. So thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. And, and again, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, everybody, I encourage you again, go out and check out joeystuckey.com. And I can promise you, you will find some music there that you will definitely enjoy. So again, Joey Stuckey, thank you so much.